Hello everyone, this is the first episode of Idiots with Idioms, the the show where we talk about figurative language from all over the world. Today we're talking about idioms in Dutch, and specifically uh, idioms in the Flemish dialect of Dutch. Lots more on that later. First, a little bit on what this show is all about. Of course, we talk about idioms, but we don't just talk about idioms. We talk about the why of idioms. So we're talking about the idioms, but also the cultural and historical and etymological reasons why those idioms exist and what they can tell us about cultures and societies. With that, I'll introduce my co-host, he's Marcello, and I'll let him take it from here. Thank you, Ethan. I would like to start right away with an idiom that is going to be something in common with the languages that we are going to talk about in this episode, Dutch and Flemish, and also something in common with my language, Italian. In Flanders, it's plenty of uh, expats from Italy that came here in the late 60s and uh, in the last decades. I recently found out that they created a sort of idiom. Se non è giusto, è ben trovato. They say this idiom in Italian, but actually it doesn't make sense in Italian at all. The literal translation of this would be, if it's not right, then it's well thought of. I find quite cool the fact that There is this idiom used in Italian by Flemish and Dutch people, and we don't know the origin of it. We're gonna ask the guest of this episode more about this later on. Back to you, Ethan. I also looked up an idiom ahead of this show, and the idiom that I want to talk about has nothing to do with Dutch. The idiom that I want to talk about is beyond the pale. So this is an expression that uh, is used in English particularly, I think, in the UK, but used in multiple dialects of English. And it means something that's beyond the bounds of polite society, or even beyond the bounds of impolite society. I didn't really know the history behind this, but I heard it used uh, quite a bit. And I had assumed that it had to do with the Pale of Settlement in Imperial Russia, which was the area of Imperial Russia where Jews were permitted to live, of course, they were only permitted to live in a small area. And so I thought that beyond the pale must mean outside of that area. But it actually means something a bit different. In Middle English, pale meant settlement, which is, of course, where the name pale of settlement comes from. But beyond the pale actually comes from the Norman invasion of Ireland. So following the Norman invasion of England, the Normans invaded Ireland as well, but it didn't go as successfully. So in the end, they only had a small little tiny bit of Ireland from which they built a settlement. And they called that settlement a pale because they built around the settlement what was called pale fences, which are white fences around the area. So if you went beyond the pale, it meant you were leaving the settlement and going into what was then the wilderness of uh, pre-British colonial Ireland. Uh, So the expression beyond the pale is much older than I thought, a bit more interesting than I thought. I don't know what it tells us about British society or Irish society. Perhaps one can make an argument that it uh, shows the historical relationship between England and Ireland, where people in England thought that they were settled, whereas their colonies, and in this case, one of their first colonies in Ireland was unsettled. And to go into Ireland was to leave leave settled, leave society, leave civilization and go into, into the wilderness. Before we go any further... I actually want to go back to the idiom that Marcello just presented. Marcello, can you say that again? 
Se non è giusto è ben trovato. It's actually se non è vero è ben trovato. Ooh. Sorry to, to jump no, no, in. That's here. a great introduction. That's, per- that's exactly what that's I wanted. That's me. <laughs> that's exactly how I wanted it to go. So yeah. Okay, We're joined great. today by uh, Annalene, who is a native Flemish Dutch speaker. And you can tell us a bit more about the idiom that Marcello brought up earlier. Yeah, sure. Um, well, actually, I, I, um, my father told me about this because um, I have an Italian boyfriend and my father was uh, very enthusiastically trying to impress him with something he knew in Italian. And he said it and my boyfriend was looking at him like, what are you saying? <laughs> and then it turned out, because then we Googled it, it turned out that indeed this is a literal translation of a Flemish saying by the, um, the, the Italian migrants, mostly in the, in the area of Limburg, which is uh, the very east of Flanders, where my father grew up. And there are many, many Italian immigrants there because of the, um, the mining. Not a beautiful period in time, definitely not. But of course, there has been a lot of language exchange there. And also the um, Flemish has influenced the Italian of those immigrants. And so can you tell me again what the English translation of this is? Yeah, well, if um, so, se non è vero e ben trovato literally means if it's not true, then it's a nice, it, it's nicely found, but found in a sense that it's a nice idea or an original idea. Because in, in Flemish, we say, als het niet waar is, is het goed gevonden. And goed gevonden means, yeah, literally, it's, it's, a, it's a good thought, a, a clever, original thinking. Interesting. So, so in what, what situation would you use it? Yeah. Oh, that's a difficult one. Uh, depends of, um, well, no, actually, if, if you're telling a story and you're not sure that it's really uh, true, but you don't really care because it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's, a, it's a funny or a, or a clever thoughts. It doesn't really matter if it's true. It's just a, if it's interesting to listen to, it's fine. And then you would say, well, if it's not true, then it's at least a, a nice thought or a nice story. Nice. <laughs> Our guest today is Annelaine. Annelaine has a background in theater. She works as part of a feminist organization. And perhaps even the most relevant for today's show, she's also a Dutch teacher. So Annelaine, you speak a specific dialect of Dutch or your your mother tongue is a specific dialect of Dutch called Flemish. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, this dialect of Dutch? How I already have to correct you there, Ethan, <laughs> because Flemish is not a dialect, but I understand why it's perceived like that. So basically in Flanders, we speak the same language as in the Netherlands, which is called Dutch. And you could compare it a bit with the difference between British English and American English or uh, the difference between Spanish from Spain and Spanish from, um, from South America. So saying that it's really the same language, uh, it has the same grammar rules, it has for the biggest part, the same vocabulary, but there are differences like you have in uh, British English and American English. So there are some words that are different and also some structures, which create like, for example, the, the funny perception that we find the Dutch always a bit like poetic if they speak or because we are also sort of associating it with, um, with the things that we read 
And they often think of the Flemish as very polite. But that is a funny misunderstanding because this comes from the fact that in, um, in Flemish, we say je and u often instead of je and jou. But u is also the polite form in the, in the language. So basically, je and u is not the official language. It's the variety sort of dialectic way, uh, dialect way of saying um, you. But as it has as objective form, it has u. And u is also the polite form of je and yo, which is why many Dutch people think, why are they saying u all the time? Whereas it's actually not because of the polite uh, form. So th these kind of, uh, of things are the, let's say, the difference. And what's also funny is that there's clearly a stronger influence of French in Flemish because, yeah, obviously we are closer to, to France. Um, and of course, we are a country with three official languages, which is French and German. German, of course, because of um, what happened after the war. But the French uh, part of Belgium is, is more historic, which is, of course, creates a, a weird um, a situation because you have two uh, languages of a completely different language group in the same country. That is how I would describe the biggest uh, difference. And then maybe one more thing is that, of course, you have many, many dialects also in, in, in Flanders and also in the Netherlands. A language is not um, something that stops at the border. It's not like you, you have, a, okay, Flemish is spoken until there, and then you have the Dutch ver uh, version of Dutch from there it's 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 not at all so strong but let's say that both countries have a standardized language let's say the one that is uh, spoken by the newsreaders and that is a different variety in Flanders as in the Netherlands not only in accent but also in let's say rules but overall it's very very similar we understand each other most of the time <laughs> Thank you, Nalen, for this little lesson and for sharing with us more information about the richness of languages in Flanders. I'm pretty happy that you talked about the differences between Dutch and Flemish, because this is something to do with one of the idioms that you are going to explain to us today. Before recording this episode, we asked Nalen to prepare three idioms, and we are going to go through them over there. So let's start with the first one, which is somehow linked to differences, so I'm sure that I'm going to mispronounce this, het wezen, or... No, well, this was uh, not, not a bad attempt at all. So het wezen is actually, it, this is a dialect word. So this is not, in this meaning that I chose, is not part of the standardized Dutch of Flanders. Wezen can be part of the standardized language, but then not in that meaning. So basically wezen can be seen as meaning uh, the being. Uh, het wezen is the being. Because, uh, so you have the verb zijn in Dutch, which means to be. But as, for example, as an imperative form, so if you are giving an order to someone, the, that form of zijn is wees. So for example, if I tell you to be, be a good person, wees een uh, goede persoon. Or if I want you to be quiet, I can say wees still. So wezen then means the being. But in this meaning, the one I really like, but that's of course also because of this context, is that in the dialect of my grandparents, because sadly enough, um, I haven't been able to, to interrogate a dialect. Thank you, parents. But het um, wezen in this dialect means the face, which I find interesting because het wezen, the being and the face, it's of course not the same, but it, to me, it feels like apparently 
people consider it something that tells something about your being, your soul or whatever spiritual context you want to give it. But um, yeah, I find it quite poetic. And I'm, I'm not at all sure that the, the roots are the same. I must admit that I haven't looked into it uh, so far. But I don't even want to know. I think it's a good story. Se non è vero, è ben trovato. That's what I think about it. Yeah, this is a perfect context to use it. So yeah, that's it. And about the dialect, maybe also interesting is that I think in, this is happening in many countries um, all over the world. But the fact that with television, there's sort of a standardized version of the language, which, which is, of course, based on a certain dialect. In, in Flanders, this is based on the dialect of Brabant, which is the region in which Brussels lies, for example. That dialect has been the basis for the standardized language of, um, well, the Flemish uh, version of Dutch. And because of this standardization, dialects are also slowly disappearing because also they have been sort of treated as something bad. Like a dialect is, uh, is, for, is for the lower class or it made you look more stupid and you had to speak the standardized language to appear educated or uh, polite. And I find it really a pity because that, that really causes that um, my generation, most of the time, doesn't speak the original dialects anymore. And I'm not saying that we all speak the standardized version, but it's more of a mixture between, yeah, between variations. Do you have any idea why it's transitioned or why it's no longer used or, or sort of what the connection is there between face or and being and is there something specific about East Flanders that mm. causes it to be used differently there? Oh, well, I don't know, but I, I'm not sure, but I think it's also used in West Flanders, so a bit more to the West, because East and West Flanders are actually both in the West of the country. That's, of course, historical. But no, I don't know if, if there is something culturally different uh, between that region that they call the face, the being. No, I, I don't really know. On the other hand, it's, it also has something frank to me. If, if it, when it's used, it's also, for example, if um, if someone says, "I can see it in your face," it can't see the nuvesen. It has something frank about it, and that frankness I also associate a bit with the dialect of my region. Yeah, it's it's quite rough, I would say, in a way. But that's maybe also a bit the impact that the this connotation of dialects had on me. Like dialects are uneducated, or I don't know. Who knows what I interiorated. It's also funny, like my mom really changes when she speaks to her parents or when she speaks to us. She speaks in dialect to her parents and she speaks in this sort of, how do you call it, residue of, of the dialects to us. So you've mentioned that there's this kind of converging of Flemish dialects and it's, it's sort of becoming standardized. Is there an effort to preserve the individual dialects? Or do you find a uh, willingness or a desire to speak in your your region's dialect um, personally? Mm. Yeah. So let's say that um, first of all, there there are still very clear accents. Like the let's say that the 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 dialect as a, as a really different thing in different regions with different words. Uh, like the the fact that you cannot understand someone from the other side of the country that is disappearing a little bit. But there's still strong accents, which I love. I really like to imitate imitate. Um, yeah, dialects is also probably my theater side that really loves to to sort of uh, impersonate people. But there is an effort done, let's say, on an academic level to preserve it. But of course, that's 
a bit like preserving dead languages like uh, Latin or Greek, old Greek, because the dialect also ha- is changing. It's a it's a living thing. But I'm not so much, let's say, I'm, I don't have a problem with the fact that languages change because that's just how it has always been. On the other side, you can be a bit romantic about dialects and saying, wow, it's a pity that's sort of out of this elitist um, attitudes that we threw them away. That's a bit uh, what I find a pity because it's not the natural flow of the language, but it's the fact that someone decided or some people decided that it was uneducated. But I studied linguistics um, in a former life <laughs> at the University of Ghent, and I was always more interested in the literature side. So I, I, I'm totally not an expert in linguistics, but what I learned there and what I found interesting was that it's often not the ling- linguists that are scared that languages change. It's often more, yeah, people that are really attached to cer- certain preserving of, of language. Linguists ex- actually often find it interesting that languages change and, and what that says about the time or whatsoever. But there is also a branch, let's say, in linguistics that studies dialects and that really compares them there are maps like uh, the map of, of how you would say countries but they are um, uh, designed by in for indicating the the borders of a certain use of a word for example in dutch we say ik for i in german you say ich for i but as i said a language doesn't change at the border so in the dialect of limburg which is the east of flanders they also say ich in their dialect whereas they're actually falling within the region where they say ik. And then you have those maps that really show the borders where ik is changing into ik, for example. And that doesn't necessarily, and actually very often, doesn't fall exactly on the border of the country because it's, of course, an artificial border. And the same goes with the the border uh, French-Dutch. Of course, a bit different because they're from a different language group. Speaking about dialects, also the second idiom that Anulen broke is about particularities in the language and it's about dialects. I'll say no more and I'll let Anulen explain. Yeah, I was quickly scrolling back in the conversation with my mom because I asked her this. As I told you, I'm not at all um, a good dialect speaker, at least not in a proper way. But this is a very interesting phenomenon, I think, that is in in the dialects of East Flanders, but also in West Flanders, there is an inclination of ja, so which means yes. In in the standardized language, there isn't. It's just ja and no is nay. But in this dialect, there is. It's, it's, I find it really funny. When my mom's on the phone with her mother or father, I always hear it say like yok or yom or yot. And for me, it's it, it's it didn't have a system. I just noticed that she uses yes with different endings, but I didn't understand why. And then she told me once that this is meaning yes, I, or yes, you, or yes, he, or yes, she, or yes, it. Well, I have to I have to read it because I I, don't, I didn't remember. So yok means yes, I. So let's say if if you ask me, uh, did you go to the bakery? And I want to say yes, I did. And I say, yok, yok, gben ad bagger That's what I would reply. 
That was the my my best imitation of the dialect. <laughs> and then, for example, if I ask you, did you call me? Uh, no, that's a bad example because then you would say, yuck, I called you. You see, I, I find it really confusing. Anyway, so there is yuck, not yuck for yes, you, which is with the he because you say he in my variation of the language, as I told you before. So yuck is yes, you. And then yours is yes, she. Uh, so for example, uh, did she go to the bakery? Yours, zes not in Joy is yes, he. Did he go to the bakery? Joy, another bagrehuist. Jot is yes, it. Jom with an M is yes, we. Joch is again yes, you, but then the plural. And jos is yes, they. Incredible, right? Not understandable at all. <laughs> but I, I find it really interesting. So, such a richness that we lose, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to wonder why this, how this came to be, other than, I mean, I assume at some point, yes, was treated as a verb. Well, yeah, not really as a verb. I think it's better to compare it a bit with um, with what the Germans do, with uh, der, die, das, die. This is not, it's not a conjugation of a verb, but it's an inclination of an article or a subject or, or an adjective. And we don't have that in uh, in Dutch, but we used to have it. Like in the uh, in the older versions of of Dutch, uh, out Netherlands and Middle Netherlands, which was uh, the the first proof of of uh, Dutch was found, or, or what is considered Dutch, because of course it was also not at one point in time that people started speaking this language. But what is has been defined as the first version of this language was in 1100. And there, there still were inclinations. And of course, dialects are, are stronger witnesses of the past versions of the language than the standardized version, which is artificially uh, implemented. Yeah, I think it's just that. And the fact that um, there is also sort of attaching of words together, which is very typical for those dialects, then it, I, th I think it's just that. Yak is like, yes, I, ja, ik. It's just put together, yak. And it also sounds a bit Swedish, in a way. Is yak, is yak, yak, yes, etc. Is it used in any other dialects? Yes. Of, which one? Yes. So it's also used, uh, and that I just found out only by Googling it, but it's, uh, it's also used in the, in the West Flanders, which is on the more, more on the West of East Flanders. There they also use this. So it's, it's in the West of, of Flanders for as far as I know. The, Last idiom that you prepared for us and are, we're going to talk about today is Padenstol. <laughs> uh, I love it. Which means, well, I'll let you explain what it means, but it's not just used in Flemish. It's used, it's used across the Dutch-speaking world. Yeah, exactly. So this Padenstol or Padestool is, um, yeah, is, is a, it's a word that is used in, in Flanders and in the Netherlands. And it means mushroom. Um, but why is it so beautiful? Well, stool means chair and padden are toads, uh, like the ugly versions of the frog. So it's the chair for the toads. So the toad is um, secretly using it as a chair in the forest. And uh, I never really questioned it because, I, I mean, you, you sort of... It's often like that, right? That, that words in your own languages are so natural to you that you don't question them ever. 
until someone who is learning the language tells you, oh, that's an interesting word. And then, yeah, that's how it happened. So a French speaking person said it once to my father, like, whoa, this is really a super beautiful word. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. It, it is. As a, when I'm teaching Dutch to foreign language speakers, then I, it also sometimes happens to me that suddenly I'm explaining something. I think, like, oh, I never looked at it that way. And yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a, it, it makes you look to your own language with other eyes or ears. So this made a bit of sense to me, the, the using seat for a toad, because in, in English, we have another word for mushroom that's less used, which is toadstool. Really? So we have a literal translation in English of this word. Yeah, but oh. it's very rarely used. You don't hear it used at all. Oh, beautiful. Anymore, that is, that's amazing. But of, yeah. yeah, this is sort of a... Wow. That was the big reveal of the whole thing. You never told me before. No, it's yeah, that's that's beautiful. So And I'm also not surprised, of course, because Dutch and English are are, are But this is where it gets this is where it gets wild. So there also used to be a word used in English uh which was padstool to mean uh stool, padstool. Right. We said padstool, which is the same. We would say padstool, but I think it was more middle English or at least it's I've never heard it used today. Perhaps it still exists. Because of dialects, but we would say padstool in English, and I think it was just a remnant of the yeah of the Germanic root uh, for so toadstool, cool. padstool. But there's also a theory that a poisonous mushroom would be called a toadstool or a padstool more often because apparently toads were poisonous. Yeah, and they I are. Oh, they. So I assume they still are. <laughs> I assume. Uh, uh, but I assume they figured this out by eating some toads. Um, <laughs> Probably. Which I would not necessarily recommend. But uh, yeah, toads oh. are poisonous and mushrooms are often poisonous. So apparently the poisonous mushrooms were more often called podstools or toadstools. And the safe to eat mushrooms were just called mushrooms. Mushrooms. <laughs> so the theory goes. But yeah, turns out toadstool and padstool, the, the direct translation somehow snuck their way into into English they're used it's used less and less but but there also exist in English that makes me th makes me think of something else to prove the connection between English and, and and Dutch um in middle English I think it was middle English it's been a very long time but uh, there used to be another word for for eggs which was iron iron something like that and in Dutch we say iron so there was really a close there there's really a close connection and the closest connection with english is with the west flemish dialects oh interesting any idea why that is well shorter shorter distance i would say uh, yeah. <laughs> i don't know i probably knew one day because i had to study it but yeah it's it's been a while but um yeah there there for sure has been an exchange uh, over time it's not it's, it's not far actually if you cross the sea There is a surprise fourth idiom, and it's one that I learned of um, in conversation. And it's an idiom or an expression in Dutch, which translates to Chinese volunteer. Oh, yes, true. Of course. Well, that for I sure has a very bad and dark history, right? Well, I was curious about this because naturally I looked it up and I couldn't find anything in an English language search. But why don't you explain what, what Chinese volunteer means, Amelie? 
Yeah, well, it's it's when nobody wants to be volunteering. Right. Or am I? Yeah, exactly. I, I, suddenly exactly. I, I got confused because I, I haven't heard it used for a very long time. But it's sort of a forced volunteer, which is obviously not a volunteer. So I can imagine that it has a very dark colonial root somewhere, no? One would have to guess. <laughs> you or don't know. Not. Or perhaps not. I really don't know. I looked it up. Oh, well, we I can look into it and I'll get back to you. That would be great. We don't, I mean, it doesn't, I can't find any language. I also can't find any other language that has the same expression. No, true. Of indeed. Course. Now that you mention it, I never heard it in another language, but I, I'm quite sure that it might have a racist or a colonial um, background or reason or whatever. I would guess so too. But I'll look it up. Yeah, because, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, oh, I think colloquialisms for forced volunteers is just fairly ubiquitous, right? It's this concept that many languages address. But yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't know where this Chinese volunteer yeah, me thing either. could come from. I hope it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, well, there might be a reason that I haven't heard it for some time. Maybe the people around me are uh, are also a bit reluctant to use it. I wouldn't use it either because it sounds already sort of the fact that it's a forced volunteering and then you use a group of people. It's, I mean, even if it doesn't come from there, it already sounds very wrong, right? So I think that it might be related to socialism in a way. For example, in Russian, there is this expression, which is Dabravolna Aviazatilna, which literally means voluntarily compulsory. This is an expression that was created during the Soviet Union and it was used to describe all those activities that you were forced to do but you had to make as if you were volunteering for, for them. Okay, I found it, I found it. So a Chinese volunteer is a Flemish expression for someone who is forced to do an annoying task. The original meaning comes with, uh, with, with great probability from the Korean War in 1950-1953, where both Belgians as uh, Dutch fought on the side of South Korea. Chinese were forced to fight on the side of North Korea, but were called volunteers. That could you have see, been socialism. Worse. Yeah, it's painful anyway. <laughs> I thought I was wrong, but I thought it might have something to do or might have a similar origin to the expression in English, um, to Shanghai something, which just means to force something Ooh. to do something else. It's real bad. Yeah. Yeah. It means to force or trick someone into joining, joining up into something typically. Or well, to, that sounds very to similar to, to that. Yeah. yeah. It means to coerce or to just trick someone into something. But actually what it comes from is it comes from, there was a practice of forcing people or tricking people into being part of crews part of the crew of a ship yeah. headed to China and then they would end up in Shanghai. So they were Shanghai. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the less appropriate. I, <laughs> I, I, you don't really hear that one anymore either. I think yeah. similarly to Chinese volunteer, but it's something I heard uh, and I came across in conversation, this expression Chinese volunteer. So of course people still are saying it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also interesting that, that languages are witnesses of uh, historic events and, and obviously of often very racist events. That's all for the first episode of Idiots with Idioms. 
I would like to thank our first guest, Annelene and Ethan, for co-hosting this show. Thanks, Marcello. Uh, and remember to follow us at, at Idiots with Idioms on Twitter and visit our website, idiotswithidioms.com.